Jesus, I yield to you. You said, don't worry about what you're going to say when you stand before people, because in the moment that you get there, I'm going to give you the words. So I'm going to lean on that promise. Remind me of everything you want to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's look at this passage. Um, I move a lot, and I just am afraid I'm a trip on something. So I'm just going to move this stuff out of my way. All right. So we have gone through Galatians 1 and Galatians 2, and that's how we got to chapter 3 because of math. And so now I am on uh, verse 23. The people who came before me, oh, my gosh, they have, like, murdered this series. It's dead now. Like, they did such a good job. John with, with Joel starting it off with, like, he took this deep, intense law and all this background history and made it make sense. He covered two chapters in 30 minutes. That was incredible. And I learned a lot in that moment. Then John came up saying, um, believe God. The distinction between believe in God and believe God, like he said it, I believe it. That wrecked me for a week. And then maybe a week and a half. And then uh, Jake got up here and started teaching about the holiness of the law, but it's like, it's not as great compared to the promise. That sermon was so good. So I just feel like we are in such a beautiful setup to receive everything that God is giving us. And also that was the whole recap. So if you missed all those weeks, you are now completely caught up. All right, let's read it together. I'll, I'll read from here. All right. So it says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise that Jake talked about last week. What am I saying? What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sons, to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you also an heir. Amen. That's a good, that's a good passage. All right, I want to um, share this with you in chronological order because it was written that way. It just, like, flows logically. Um, and so I want to share it with you, like, in accordance to how it was written. I think it will make the most sense that way. So we'll start by looking at Galatians 3.23 through 4.3. 3. 
So it's that whole first section before chapter um, four starts. All right, the first point I want to make, you can go to the first slide. The law is a teacher, not a parent. This part says, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Is there any more up there? Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have closed yourself with Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. For you all are one in Christ. All right, I won't read the rest of that. But he reiterates the same thing. I put the whole thing up there because um, in chapter 4, he reiterates the same thing, that you're no longer a slave. I'll read that part to you out of my Bible so you don't got to look. Um, it says, I mean that the heir, verse chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So um, Paul is obviously writing this letter to the Galatians. The Galatians have given their lives to Jesus, and the Jews came in and tried to give them all of the law again, even though they had already received Christ. They were already fully justified in Christ. The Jews came in and tried to make them follow the law again. Um, Paul here is explaining how the law was meant to be a teacher for us or a guardian for us. Do we have any teachers in the room? Oh, we got like more than I thought. Thank you. I couldn't do it. Thank you for your service. So I remember um, when I was in elementary school, and if you're an elementary school teacher, you know, they have hallways with all these like stupid lines on the floor or like blocks or something. And the teachers would be walking down the hallway like, keep your feet in the blocks. And so all the kids are like keeping their feet in the blocks. And when I was doing kids therapy, um, I'd be walking down the hallways and I got to walk in the middle. And I felt like my whole life had changed. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, they were like, hey, hey, feet block, feet on the line, because the point of elementary school is to teach you conformity. It's to teach you social rules and norms so that whenever you graduate from school, you know how to function as a full human adult. When you get 12, when you get to 12th grade and they give you the little thing and you do the tassels thing, they're hoping that you are a functioning citizen in society. You know why you walk on the right side of the hallway? because we drive on the right side of the street. They're teaching you early on so when you become an adult, you know what you're doing and we don't have car accidents because you were rebellious in kindergarten, okay? That's what, that's what the point of this was. It's to prepare you, but it is inappropriate for you to stay in school your entire life. If you are 40 years old, you do not need to be in second grade anymore. Graduate. You know what I'm saying? Move to at least the third grade. Come on. So the point, the law is the same way. He talks about these elemental spirits, elementary ways of doing things. He literally says that. What he's talking about is the law was supposed to be that beginning to get you to the real thing. And the real thing happens after you graduate. The real thing is the promise that you receive from Jesus. That's the real thing. And he's telling them, Stop with this. You're free from, you graduated. You're free from school. Don't go back to this old thing. You're done with that. 
So he starts by explaining that to them. You have been set free from those guardians, from those that once ruled you, which was the law. And this is even more interesting as I was um, reading through Tim Keller's explanation of this. I love Tim Keller. He, that brother can teach. If I was reading, I know Stephanie does too. Um, as I was reading him, he was saying, do you know um, that in the Old Testament, a lot of the people who were charged to take care of kids were slaves, were like literally indentured servants? That means that the people who were teaching this law didn't have freedom to teach. They didn't have that to give the people that they were teaching. They were actually slaves. We always say you give away what you have. If they're, if they're the ones charged to keep you and they have no freedom, they cannot imbue freedom to you. This is the law. The law has no freedom. So it cannot give you what it doesn't have. That's why you have to graduate. Because until then, he's saying that you are enslaved to this guardian that has no freedom to give you. That's why Paul takes this tone that's real spicy. Because they, <laughs> they were free. And then the Jews came to give them this slavery. And it's so, this is reminding me of, um, and I'm, this is a good transition, but I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. This is reminding me of when Jesus was on the earth still um, in his bodily form. The Pharisees came up to him and asked him all these questions. And he said, go learn this, that I desire mercy over sacrifice. And they got so mad. And they walked, I imagine them just like storming off. I don't know what they did. It's no pictures in the Bible. But I imagine them just like storming off. And then later on, some chapters later um, in, in some of the books, they come back. And he said, um, they, they challenged him again on something that he said. He had let set somebody free, freed somebody of their sin or something like that. And the people came back and they were like condemning Jesus for that. And he was like, if you had learned what I said, that I desire mercy over sacrifice. This is so good because Paul is sent to the Gentiles, but he's still Jewish. And if the Jews could have got a hold of this, they would have also received the same freedom that the, the, the Galatians were about to receive or they had already received. And so this is such a good text because it's freedom for Jews and Gentiles alike. It's just a side point. I didn't write that in my notes. It was just nice. All right. So that's the first one. The law didn't have freedom to give you. It was a former guardian so that you could become a full adult and have the real thing, the promise. All right. So now the question becomes, um, well, how do we know that we have this promise? Because the, the Jews came, and Joel talked about this in his sermon, saying that you, even though you've accepted Christ, you again need to be circumcised, which was one of the hugest things in the law. And Paul is saying, no, you don't. Live your life. Don't do that. And so I, if I was a Gentile, I would be confused because the Jews come in with this like religious stature with like years and years of history. Jewish, the Jewish religion was an established religion in this place. Christianity was still new. So these people who have all this status come in and they say, no, 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 this is what you need to do. And Paul, who's like excommunicated from the Jews a little bit, who wasn't really liked by the Gentiles, is saying, no, you don't. I would be confused. Like, who do I listen to in this? And so um, this, when Jesus showed me this like a week ago, I was like, oh, my gosh. I did not know that. So it says, the spirit of God is the true mark of our adoption. I want to read this to you in Genesis because this is where circumcision popped up. This is the first time. In Genesis 17, 
10 and 11, it says, this is my covenant with you. God's talking to Abraham. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. Another translation says it will be the mark of the covenant between you and me, right? But then in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, um, okay, I'll read 5 too. It says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He's saying here, the mark is no longer circumcision. The mark is the fact that the Holy Spirit in you now cries out, Abba, Father. Do you know? That I, th- I think this is, I'm like 99% on sh- sure on this. Christianity is like the only religion that refers to God as a father. I need some head nods. Is that right? Okay, great. I thought I was right, but you know, still learning. Nobody else does that. Other religions do not revere God as a father. He is a leader. He is a ruler. He is mischievous. He might be Loki. I don't know who he is. But other religions do not get to revere God as a father. It is a master-slave relationship. But the sign to you that you've come out of that relationship is that the Spirit of God is in you literally crying out, Abba, Father, you are my father. That's so good. So again, why would you take up this old mark when you have the real thing now? I'll give you an example. So when I was growing up in high school, there was this song by this girl named Tiffany. She was on the movie Diary of a, Black, a Mad Black Woman, and she sang this song, and everybody fell in love with her, so she got like one single. She's a one-hit wonder. They gave her a single after this movie. The single was called Promise Ring. Does anybody know this song? Okay, like five people, let's go! I was expecting zero. All right, the song, the song lyrics are, um, I promise not to hurt you, promise not to lie, promise to protect you and defend you with my life, promise you forever, promise you today. He said, would you wear my promise ring? Okay. Oh, thank you. My album's coming out. Okay. All right. Um, So the song is essentially Tiffany, she's in high school, and this boy is, like, making those promises to her, and he gives her this little promise ring. So in the movie, she's just like, in the music video, she's like, yeah, I got this promise ring, you know? And then she's like, if you break your promise, we breaking up. That's the next lyric. She doesn't even say thank you. She says, if you break your promise, we breaking up, right? So she has this cute little promise ring, and she's walking around, and it is just like the most superficial promise. I think she was in like ninth grade. What are you doing in ninth grade? Do you even drive? Y'all not going to the movies unsupervised? Um, you know what I'm saying? Y'all, y'all are not doing anything that's real deep in a ninth grade. Maybe you are, but probably not. So she has this promise ring, right? That is so different from a wedding ring, right? So different. Little promise ring, little cute boppy song from a wedding ring. From I stood before the Lord and made covenant to you, to God, and before everybody in front of me. And they all say amen, and I say amen, then we kiss, and then we do dances down the aisle. That is a totally different level of covenant, right? So imagine you get married, 
you have this wonderful celebration. You showing all your friends your engagement ring with the band on it now because it's real. You know, you showing or whatever you did. It's not about wings. Choose whatever ring you want. Okay, but you showing your people your ring. You showing them your dress, your outfit, whatever you have. Right after the party's over, you go to dinner, lunch, whatever with your friends, and your friends say, "Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you. Did he get you a promise ring?" Did he give me a promise ring? What you mean? Well, you know, I just think, I mean, the wedding ring is nice, but you still need like a promise ring. Why do I need a promise ring? I have the real thing. I have the real thing. I am under covenant. And if my ring is not enough, Devante is the sign that I'm in covenant. My husband is the sign that I'm in covenant. I'm married because he alive. I don't need your little promise ring. This is what he's saying. The spirit of God and your spirit are one spirit. That's the sign that you're married. I don't need an outward mark. If you need an outward mark, come to my baptism. That's it. It is not this, this ring. It's not this, it's not this circumcision. It's not keeping the law. It's the fact that the spirit of God has broken down every barrier that kept you from being able to say he's your father and he's made you his, his son. That's the sign. Okay, so how do you know? Just rewind the tape and listen to that point. That's how you know. The spirit of God is in you, okay? Point two. I only got three points, so like you two-thirds of the way through this. All right, so the law was there to get you to the real promise. The real promise is that you're a son. You're God's son. This is going to be good. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. You are God's son. And it says if you are his son, that you are an heir through the promise. Calm down. All right. So let me read this to you. It's just verse 7. It says, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. The point I wanted to make with this has two parts, but it's one sentence. Heirs co-labor with God in freedom. This is what heirs do. This is what sons do. And I want to show you that in, in uh, two different ways. The first um, comes from Genesis. I'll start with that one. Yeah, let's start there. It comes from Genesis 2, 19 and 20. Um, so this is them in the garden. This is pre the fall. God has made, um, what's his name? Adam. God has made Adam, right? And they're, they're laboring together. And I want to show you this. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Now, see this picture. If you have two people in a room and one person is sitting down, and the other, just sitting there, and the other person is bringing things to them for them to name and then going to get another thing. Who do you think has more power in this relationship? The one who's sitting down. That's what it looks like. The one who's just sitting down having people bring stuff to them, that seems like the one who has more power in this, not the one who's running to get the animals. That's like a secretary job, you know? This is the secretary that gets coffee. It seems like that. But here, the Lord is the one running to get the animals. And we know that he is the one that has all power. So why are we sitting and he running? How does that make any sense? 
We're the ones who should be running. We should be falling on our faces. Why are you going to get the animals? Why did you even let me name them? I picked stupid names for stuff. You, you know, some of these animals have crazy names. I don't know what an alpaca is. I, what? But he was like, good job, Adam. That's an alpaca. Get out of here. <laughs> Man. See, so the man gave all the names to the livestock and the birds, a buffalo, all them. He named them. Do you know why he would do this? Because he wants to co-labor with you. He wants to do this with you. Before sin ever came into the picture, he wanted our relationship to be more mutual. You're not God, but he wanted mutuality between us. That's why he's not too high and mighty to go get the animals and let you name them. He does not have a weird glory complex that doesn't mind sharing it with you. He is so good. And that is, that is the place that we were in pre-sin. We were, sons, we were sons co-laboring with God. We were filling the earth with meaning and value. In the scriptures, oh, this is the Lord. In the scriptures, names used to have meaning. Like, you know how God used to change people's names when stuff was happening? He's not only giving a name, he's giving purpose. He's giving function. He's giving identity. Adam was out here creating stuff with God co-create. It wasn't just, I think this is a cute name, go forth and have this name. He was giving them purpose in the earth, and God gave us that ability pre the fall, and sin robbed us of that. Sin is not bad behavior. Sin is a principality that stole that from us, and Paul talks about how it seized our members, and it lived in our skin. We lost this, it said after this, I didn't put this up here, but after this, it said that when they saw God walking, they hid. When they saw God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from him. They went from letting God run to get them things and bring it to them to hiding from them. We lost this mutuality. We lost it. And it grieved, it, I, it grieved the Lord because this is what he made us for, this deep, close intimacy and we missed it and so this is such a beautiful promise because Jesus restored that Jesus restored our ability to co-labor with God do you know why because it calls us heirs that means we inherit everything and it's so cool because usually you don't get an inheritance until the person dies right you this is terrible. But like, if you got a rich dad or a rich uncle, you just got to wait around until they die to get all the money. You just got to wait. And that's sad. Because then you have to choose between their inheritance or the person. And I mean, like, I would choose the uncle, you know, but only by a little bit. I would also still want the inheritance. It's sad. Our, the, <laughs> these are jokes. Okay. Our savior died and then undied. So you get both. Oh my gosh. You get the guy and the inheritance. This is insane. If, if I was a lawyer, I would be like, no, this is not possible. This is not written in the will. But it was written in the will. That was the point of the law to show you this promise. Oh my goodness. These are things I've never said before. Jesus up here saying the stuff. Man, so you get both. You get the inheritance and the Savior. You get the intimacy and everything that comes with it. 
And that was his heart for us, that we would receive the full inheritance and co-labor with God. So I want to point out some cool things that I saw. Um, I think there's another slide. Yes, great. These are three things that I saw underneath this point of heirs, co-labor, and freedom. So this is heirs, co-labor, and freedom, point A, B, and C. Point A, slaves receive punishment, sons don't. One more time, slaves receive punishment, sons do not. This is a crazy point, and it is one that the Lord is actively teaching me right now. I want to read uh, John 4, 1 John 4 and 18 to you. Um, this is a good one to write down. If you, don't, uh, if you have a pen or something to take notes, this is a good one to keep in your heart. 1 John 4 and 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I never saw this before, but if you are a slave, your relationship with your master is one that is avoiding punishment, because that's probably the best thing that you can do, is just avoid getting in trouble. Do the best job that you can do and avoid getting in trouble, because you don't want that punishment that's coming. There's no love between you and master. There's only punishment or no punishment. Sons do not have that same relationship. They are secured and solid even when they mess up because there's no punishment. Do you know why? Because Jesus took the whole punishment. He became all of the sin. He, man, curses any man that hangs on a tree. He became a slave for us. He took our place so that we could take his place. There was punishment for you. Jesus satisfied all of it. So now you get to receive all of his sonship, and that's a relationship that doesn't contain punishment. The context of this relationship is love and belonging, always. You don't have to wait for God to get you in trouble. It's not a thing. Be free from that. Next. Oh, wait, no, I want to say something about it. Don't go to the next. Go to this. Um... I had, okay, so I grew up in the South. A lot of you guys know that. In my neighborhood, um, there were streetlights all over the neighborhood. Anybody grew up with streetlights? Anybody had to be home when the streetlights came on? Yes, good job. Y'all had good parents. All right, I'm just kidding. I, that was just my experience. So in my neighborhood, my streetlight in front of my house was the last streetlight to come on. So I could be anywhere in the neighborhood, but I knew that I needed to be on my porch before the streetlights came on. So I usually was like four or five streets over. And back in the day, I always had these like flip-flops on. It was South Georgia. So we just flip-flops and all the different stuff all year round. And so wherever I was in the neighborhood, when the streetlights came on, I needed to start running. Because if I didn't beat that last streetlight home, I'm about to be on punishment. I'm about to be grounded. So, man, I would be at the park, and then you see the, the streetlight just flicker on. And when it came on, everybody in the neighborhood would just, like, take off running. And I got these little flip-flops on, so I'm, like, booking it down the street, down the street. I would kick my flip-flops off and, like, pick them up off the ground as I was running. 
because I cannot be in trouble. I'm not trying to do this. And my mom, I had this long street, and I lived at the bottom of the cul-de-sac. And my mom, one day, came outside and stood on the porch like this. And I'm booking it down. I'm like, booking it down the street with my flip-flops in my hand, like got them between my feet, and I'm running. And the first street light comes on. I'm like chasing the light down the street. Like first light comes on, second light, and then there will be my light. So I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. The second light comes on. I'm a little behind. I'm like, I pick up the pace or I'm not going to make it. The third light comes on, and that light used to dim. It used to dim and then flicker and then on. And so I'm seeing it like dim, and I'm like, come on, like, i got to make it. So I'm running. And my mom is standing there just waiting for me. And I hit the stairs just as the light fully turns on. And I run up the stairs, and I'm like, I'm here. I'm here. And she's like, you made it. Come on. I'm like, yes! Yes! I'm not in trouble. I know she laughed when I walk in that house. I know she cracked up. But I was so afraid that I'm about to be in trouble. My obedience to her, to that rule, completely came out of the fear of punishment. It was not that I thought there was anything good in this. It was completely because I do not want to be in this house for another week. Everything happens outside, and I won't be there because I'll be grounded. Fear of punishment. That was me, completely. Now, I don't live at my mom's house. I don't even live in Georgia. I know you didn't know that. And so I call my mom all the time, and I'm like, Mom, I, I ask her everything. Okay, how do you do dental insurance? Like, what do you do? Who do you call? How do you do taxes? Like, what do you do? Who do you call? Mom, I think about getting this job or that job. Like, what do I do? Because I'm older, I'm not in this elementary school place. I'm not in this guardianship kind of place. My relationship with my mom has totally changed. Now I take her advice with no fear of punishment. Literally, I mean, logically, it's because how are you going to punish me from Florida? Like, she live in Florida. I live in Pennsylvania. Like, what you going to do? You going to, like, fly here? There's that point. But our relationship has changed now that I've grown up that I do not fear punishment from her. And I receive her instruction towards me as a daughter. I receive it gratefully because I know her intentions towards me are love, and she cannot punish me. This is God to us. Does that make sense? Okay, great. That's the first one. I just want to tell you about my family. All right. Oh, I meant to say slaves inherit nothing. It says slaves insert nothing. I don't know what they insert. Slaves inherit nothing. Sons inherit everything. I think I already made that point. You understand that, right? Great. Last one. Slaves have no rights. Sons have rights. This was really cool. I, I found this also in Tim Keller's um, commentary. He was saying um, a lot of people, especially Western people, prefer the NIV or um, like message translation that says like um, children have rights. But here in ESV and other versions, it says sons. And he was saying don't be too quick to get rid of that word sons for equality. We definitely are for equality. But why, can you put it back up there? Why does it say sons? It says sons intentionally because women then couldn't inherit, they couldn't have property. They couldn't be rulers of anything. There was not, they were subservient, in some ways still in a slave role. But you read just a few verses before in chapter um, 3, verse 28, it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. You are all ones in Christ. Do you know that in this sentence, Paul highlights how God broke that whole barrier and now daughter-sons inherit everything? Oh, my. This is like total freedom for every single possible person on earth. If you're a daughter, you're a son. And he does this. I'm not talking about gender fluidity here. I'm talking about like the Lord bringing everything to fullness. He also calls the men his bride. You know what I'm saying? It's because he's trying to give you everything in every possible part of this. And so here, can you go back to the point that says heirs, co-labor, and freedom? Here, he has taken the bonds that culture would have given you, that society would have given you, that even the law has given you, and he has rewritten them so that the, the daughters also have the rights that the sons have. And the sons also get to be brides of Christ. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. So this is, this is the freedom that God um, is trying to bring us to, and this is the freedom that almost was stolen from the Galatians. They almost forgot they were sons. They almost took, tried to take off the promise and put on the curse again. And he is like, don't you dare. Don't you dare trade this curse for this promise. He is speaking to them very fatherly in this moment because they have received the adoption of the Spirit. That's pretty much all my points. I want to tell you how this has affected me. What God did for me specifically as I've been reading this, and is doing, this is not done, um, is he's been talking to me about rule following. I am a rule follower. I don't know if you know that about me, but I, oh, it makes me so nervous to break the rules. Not all of them. I speed. But some of them, I'm like, oh, don't do this. Please. You know, I remember one time we were at Devante's school, and there was, um, there was like this rock path that we were walking, we were walking through, and they closed a part of it. And Devante was like, let's just go around the fence. Like, we'll be fine. And I was like, we cannot go around this fence. What if we, why do they put the fence up? If we go over the fence, like what's going to happen? We're going to slip and fall and die and nobody's going to be there. That's why the fence is there. We can't go over the fence. Don't do it. He was like, Kiara, are you, for real? I was like, yes, turn around. And we turned around, hike over. Because I, I could not, and it was smart to not go over the fence. We could have fallen and died. But man, I, I realized this week that I have been enslaved to rule following for fear of punishment. I am doing everything I can to do the stuff right so that I don't get in trouble, so that I don't receive some kind of cosmic punishment. And this word hit me so heavily. That is not my relationship with Jesus. My life is not bent on following the rules. If I broke every single rule today all in 24 hours, I would be a daughter. He said that. I'm still learning it. I wanted to share it with you guys because I think it's good. Um, I don't have anything else. Whoever's closing can come close, but I just want to pray real quick over you. Jesus, the ways that you have shaped me with this word, shape us with this word. The ways that you have set us free, you sang it, you danced it, you did all this stuff, Lord, Convince our hearts of our freedom. We are not slaves. We are sons.
I bless these people and myself with that revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.